Have you ever wondered why somebody would get on a bicycle and ride 30 or 40 or 60 or even 100 miles like Brother Mike Collins and Brother Mike Puthers did in Wichita Falls, Texas back in, uh, what was it, back in September? Because they're nuts. Or what Brother Mike is going to do again on Saturday. He leaves for vacation tomorrow. He's going to do the uh, Tour de Tucson on Saturday, another 100-mile ride. Have you ever wondered what makes somebody do something like that? Have you ever wondered why somebody will throw on a pair of tennis shoes and run 26.2 miles? Or a hundred miles, like our youth pastor Paul Corlew did earlier this year. Hundred miles, almost 24 hours. Have you ever wondered why somebody would get up before the sun comes up, sub-freezing temperatures, and traipse through the snow for hours, for miles hoping to shoot a pheasant or a quail or a deer or an elk like Brother Jake and his father, Mike Puthers. I've named him twice now. There's something really wrong with that guy. <laughs> you ever wondered why people do what they do? Unless you're a cyclist, unless you're one of us, then you don't get why we get on our bicycle and head toward Tyrone or Hooker or Guyman. And it's, we do what we do. Um, if you're not a runner, then you don't get why somebody would do what runners do. If you're not an outdoorsman, if you're not a hunter, then you don't get why people do what some people do. They just, I mean, there are some guys that get up, TJ, our son TJ, before he went home to be with the Lord, was one of those guys. He'd get up early, early in the morning, splash himself with deer urine, <laughs> and go out and climb a tree, sit in a tree for hours. Sometimes never even see a deer. They said, Dad, it was awesome. Okay, son, whatever. Well, if you're not one of them, then you don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense. On another note, let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered why your lost family and friends don't get you? You know what I'm talking about? They, they just do not get you. They don't get why you read the Bible. They don't get why you pray. They sure don't get why you go to church twice on Sunday and again on Wednesday. I mean, isn't like once on Sunday good enough? They don't get that. They don't get you. They don't get why you would drive 60 miles all the way from Garden City in the middle of the week after working all day 
and then drive back tonight, I guess. They don't get that. Lost people, that people in Garden City, they don't get that. They, they just, that, that Kalowski guy, there's a reason his name ends in ski. They, don't, they, don't, they just don't get that. Paul helps us understand why people don't get that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think the slide says 14 through 18, it's actually 14 through 16. But here's what Paul says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, verse 15, judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have, Paul writes, but we have the mind of Christ. Paul talks about two different kinds of people in this, pa in this passage. He speaks of the natural man, and he speaks of the spiritual man. Let's begin tonight with the natural man. Man, who, who is the, the natural man? I'll, I'll explain it like this. The natural man is the person who lives on the natural plane of, of life and judges everything according to his senses. What he can see, what he can hear, what he can taste, what he can touch what he can smell, if he can't see it, touch it, smell it, hear it, taste it, then it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's, it's imaginary. He recognizes no reality beyond his senses, and he lives as though this world is the only world there is. That's why Paul said that the gospel is foolishness to him. It's foolish. Strong's Concordance uses the word silliness and absurd. To put it bluntly, the natural man thinks the things of God are stupid. It's just that simple. Lost people, people that don't know Christ, people who are still in their natural state, think that the things of God, like the gospel, like the Bible, like prayer, like church, they're stupid. That explains why you can bring a lost person to church, and even though you are moved deeply by the worship and by the preaching, they're bored to tears. Nothing makes sense. Nothing penetrates their heart. And really to them, it's just a waste of time. 
A natural man naturally rejects the gospel. And here's why, because the gospel is supernatural. Amen. The things of God are supernatural. And so a natural man naturally rejects them. The gospel, the Bible, things of that nature, they're inspired by another place. They come from another place, namely heaven. But since he doesn't believe there is another place, then he rejects anything claiming to come from a place that he doesn't believe exists. You tracking with me? There are four key words in verse 14. The last one I think is the most important, but those words are receiveth foolishness, know, and discern. That word discern is a, it's a legal term from the first century that refers to the ability of a wise judge to sift through mountains of testimony and come to a proper verdict. Does that make sense? Has all of this testimony, all of this evidence, and he's able to discern. He's able to sift through it and, 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 and put it in order and, and get, to the, get to the place where he can make the right verdict. And it's that kind of discernment that, that the natural man, the unsaved man or woman, it's that discernment that they lack when it comes to the gospel. He or she lacks the ability to properly translate the message of the gospel. So they can understand it and believe it. Because the unsaved natural man lacks an inner translator, if I can use that phrase. He never comes to the right conclusion about the gospel. Therefore, it remains foolishness to him or her. I'd ask a couple ladies to, to help me tonight. So, uh, Carla and, and uh, Maricel, if you would come and, and help me. Now, listen, this is, this is Brother Tyler's mic. Well, he's special. He's got his own mic. Well, I'm holding his mic. I feel so special. Wow. They're treated well, huh? Um. This is not going to be the perfect illustration because some of you in here tonight are going to understand what Carla is saying. Okay, so you guys just chill out for a minute. Because there are some of us that won't have a clue what she's saying. All right, so Carla, I'll let you speak and then uh, I'll, I'll continue the illustration. Yep. Porque de tal manera amó Dios al mundo que ha dado su hijo unigenito para que todo aquel que en él cree no se pierda, mas tenga vida eterna. Okay. 
Excluding those that understand Spanish, you understood that. Thad, just slap him. Why you got your arm around Thad anyway? That's gross, dude. So, so here's the point. When a lost person comes to church, and I'm preaching the gospel, or Brother Tyler's preaching the gospel, you know what it sounds like to them? Sounds like that. The Lamb of God. There's Candy. When Candy first started coming, Candy, how many years ago was it that you started coming here? 19 years ago, Candy started coming to Fellowship Baptist Church as an absolute lost person. No clue. She was in the natural state. She's a great example of what I'm talking about tonight. And she came here, and, and, and I know this to be a fact, because she didn't understand things like the Lamb of God. She asked her babysitter, Baala Hodges, who was responsible for introducing her to Fellowship Baptist Church, what's this Lamb of God thing? You know, sometimes we as preachers forget that not everybody understands Christianese. The Lamb of God and atonement and sanctification and all of that. We, sometimes we forget that, and, and even as just laymen, sometimes we we speak in Christianese and we use phrases that we take for granted people are going to understand. And they walk away going, huh? They don't get it. They don't understand it. It's like what Carla just said. We don't get it. But the Holy Spirit helps us get it. And the Holy Spirit acts as an inner translator, a gospel translator. And so here's the work of the Holy Spirit. Porque de tal manera amó Dios al mundo. For God, for God so, loved. so loved the world. Que ha dado a su hijo unigenito. That he gave his only begotten son. Para que todo aquel que en él cree that whosoever in believeth. believeth in him. I, I get it. It's not, it's not as easy as it looks. No se pierda, mas tenga vida eterna. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Very good. Thank you, ladies. You're all right. Thank you. So I told you that wasn't the, the, the perfect illustration, but do you understand what I'm saying? Paul's talking about the natural man to whom the things of God, and especially the things of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they're foolishness to them. They're stupid. They're silly. They don't make any sense. Why? Because they don't have that, that inner translator who is the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is to translate, if you will, the message of the gospel to the lost. If you remember, Jesus said in, uh, in, I believe it was the gospel of John, that no man can come to him unless the Spirit of God draw him. And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of, of salvation that that illuminates their heart and mind and helps them begin to understand the gospel. 
that Jesus loves them and that he died for them and that he was buried and that three days later he rose again because he lives, they can live. And the Holy Spirit begins to translate that. Now we'll come back to the natural man in just a moment. But let's talk about the spiritual man. Now, understand this tonight, church. The spiritual man is not some special class of elite Christians. Okay? It's not some special group of of superhuman type people. The spiritual man is simply a reference to a saved person. The, uh, The spiritual man is a person in whom the Spirit of God dwells by way of salvation. So you have the natural man who's not saved, and you have the spiritual man who is saved. Again, they're not part of some special elite class. Anybody who's saved falls under this category of spiritual person. Now, if you go on in chapter 3, which we'll not do tonight, Paul talks about a third kind of man, and that's the carnal man. He would be a subcategory under the spiritual man. They're saved, but they're carnal. They're worldly. And we'll not, we'll not get into that tonight. But Paul makes a good point here about those in whom the Spirit of God dwells. And here's what he says. Those who are saved have the ability to understand God's truth. That's the implication of the phrase there, judgeth all things. They are able to discern. I said that the, the lost man is not able to discern. They're not able to evaluate. They're not able to understand. But the, the spiritual man, on the other hand, is able to discern. He or she is able to understand. In the art world, which is not a world that I live in at all, but in the art world, there are certain people who are full-time appraisers. Okay, Brother John Farrow, he's he's not into art either, but he is into fine automobiles, okay? And there there are people who make it their profession to appraise vehicles. So let's say that this art appraiser, he's able to look at a painting and almost immediately he can tell you, well, that's, that's, that's a forgery, that's a fake, it's not worth anything at all. Or he can tell you that's worth $5,000 or $50,000 or $5 million. Why? Because he's able to discern. Again, we're talking about the spiritual man and his ability to discern. Uh, 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 Somebody who appraises uh, fine automobiles is able to look at a car and tell you how much that car is worth based upon uh, the condition that it's in, the year of it, uh, the make, the model, how rare it is. You probably look on the engine block or somewhere and find out what, what number... Um, you know, it was in the assembly line, whatever, and, and based upon that, um, someone like uh, uh, Brother John Farrow or Brother Bob Christie, 
um, men who appreciate good automobiles, fine automobiles, um, they can tell you, yeah, they're able to discern the value of that. Think of it this way, we can, we can understand the lost, we can understand the lost, but they can't understand us. We can, un- listen, we can understand them because at one time we were one of them. Now let me stop there and say, I'm not, I'm not making this about we're better than anybody else. Please do not leave here tonight saying, well, they think they're better. That's not the point that I'm making tonight. Doesn't matter if you're saved or lost here tonight, you're still a sinner. That's not the point that I'm making. The point I'm making is that we can understand the natural man, but the natural man can't necessarily understand us because we've been where they are, but they've never been where we are. All right? A man who was blind and now sees can truly say, I know what it's like to be blind. But a man who has always been blind can never say, I know what it's like to see. Never been there. So listen, church, this is why we need to treat unbelievers with kindness and with patience, and with a gracious heart while we're waiting for God to open their eyes. Because that is a work of God. The saved know why the lost do what they do, but the lost don't have a clue why we do what we do. Verse 16 explains that we understand the things of God because we've been given the mind of Christ. Look at it. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And again, please, please, please understand tonight, I'm not saying... Saved people are better than lost people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they're different. That's all. And the only reason we're different is because of God's grace. Okay? But you look at verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. This is why, this is why even in the worst moments, I mean, even in the, the midst of some of the most tragic experiences in life, Believers can somehow seem to make sense of it all. It's not that we have all the answers. It's not that tragedy never befalls us. Or that we have an easy road. No, it's because we know the Lord. And we understand better than the natural man that there is a bigger picture. And even when the pieces don't fit, in our minds, 
We still know that there is a pattern to things that otherwise would make no sense. That's why tragedy can strike the life of a saved person, and tragedy can invade the life of a lost person, and you're liable to see two opposite responses to that tragedy. It's because a saved person understands that God is God and that God is sovereign. And that whether we understand it or not, God has a plan. The lost person on the other hand, they don't get that at all. They don't understand that at all. And so they stand over here and scratch their head as they watch how a saved person responds to the tragedies of life. Am I making sense tonight? Paul's talking about two different kinds of people, and we're going to, we're going to, I hope you'll understand why I'm going through all this toward the end here. It's our belief in God that gives us hope and faith when we would otherwise give up. Spiritual vision is always greater than intellectual brilliance. Well, preacher, why don't, why don't unbelievers understand? Because they can't. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Without the divine translator, the gospel is foolishness to them. That's why they roll their eyes when you talk about Jesus. You ever had anybody do that? Oh, brother, here we go. They don't get it. They don't understand. That's why they laugh, and that's why they make fun. That's why you feel left out when they get together. Because you're spiritual, they're natural. So, what conclusions can we gather from all of this? The natural man and their inability to understand spiritual things. And really their, their attitude towards spiritual things is that they're foolish. And then you've got the spiritual person within, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells and ministers and teaches them. The Bible says that that's another part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth. So, so what conclusions can we draw? And I'll give these to you, and uh, it'll be an, uh, an early conclusion tonight. But here's the first one. This teaches us the absolute necessity for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can never underestimate the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, especially when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God. You know, you can take a, you can take a pig out of, the, out of the pig pen, you can take him out of the slop, and you can take him into the barn, and you can clean him up and wash him and do whatever you want to do, and when you're all done, you can call him a dog. This is now our dog 
you let your dog loose, and guess where he's going to go? He's not going to go in and sit at your feet. He's going to go right back to the pig pen. He's going to go right back to the slop. Why? Because you've not changed him on the inside. Doesn't matter what you do on the outside, he's still a pig. You can't change a pig into a dog just by cleaning him up on the outside and calling him a dog. That change has to take place from the inside out. That's why somebody, you know, well, I go to church every Sunday. That means I'm going to heaven. No, that doesn't mean anything. It just means you're a decent individual. What makes the difference is whether you've been transformed on the inside. Whether you've been what Jesus called twice in the, in the Gospel of John, born again. Whether you've been saved is what makes the difference. A natural man can only become a spiritual man by means of the new birth. Second, here's the second thing. Wisdom and eloquence by themselves will never truly lead anyone to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't study. Doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare. But here's what it does mean. You will never argue someone into the kingdom of God. Years ago, I've, I've told you this story before. Years ago, Marla Hodges asked me, my wife and I, to go visit a friend of hers. This friend was in her, I don't know, mid-50s, maybe late 50s. Had not been raised in a denomination that preaches the gospel. And so I spent several days, a couple of days that week previous, just refreshing myself on what I knew she believed because I knew what she had been taught. And so I, I had my gun loaded. And I was. I was prepared to refute her beliefs. I was well prepared for that. And so when Katie and I walked in, man, I just started spewing out. And we would talk, and she'd say something, I'd refute it. She'd say something else, and I'd refute it. I mean, I was, I was waxing elephants. I mean, I was... Uh, I was doing good. And we're about 45 minutes into this conversation. And this lady was nowhere ready to be saved. My word, lady, you have no more arguments. I have blasted every argument that you've thrown at me. I have refuted it soundly. This lady's never going to get saved. And then it was like the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, Hey, stupid, yeah. why don't you try the gospel? <laughs> so I did. God is my witness. It wasn't even 15 minutes later. 
And God had brought her under conviction, and she was weeping, and she humbled her heart, she bowed her head, and called on the name of the Lord to save her. Here's the point. We will never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. It's not your... It's not your ability, it's not my ability to refute false doctrine that's going to get somebody to heaven. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said that it is the power of God unto salvation. Listen, if, if anybody could refute the futility of Judaism, Paul could. He'd been there, he'd lived it, he was a zealot. He knew it inside and out, front to back. And then he got saved. And if there was anybody that could argue with a Jew, it was Paul. But Paul didn't say that it was his ability to argue that was the power of God unto salvation. He said it's the gospel. We will never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. Wisdom and eloquence by themselves will never lead anyone to Jesus Christ. Third, unbelievers don't see because they can't see. You remember, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, where Paul talked about the God of this world, how he blinds the the minds of those who are lost, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. Unbelievers don't, don't see, well, well, preach, I just don't get it. Why can't they see it? Because they can't. Your family doesn't see it because they can't see it. And those lost people that you work with, they're, they're, they're not seeing it because they can't see it. The God of this world has blinded their minds, has blinded their spiritual eyesight. So, we shouldn't be angry when a lost person acts like a lost person. How else are they supposed to act? I mean, you pull your pig out of the slop and clean him up and call him a dog and then turn him loose. Don't get mad when he runs back to the hog pen. What do you expect him to do? He's a hog. That's what hogs do. That's their nature. And so we shouldn't get all bent out of shape when lost family members act like lost family members. When they talk like lost family members, when they live like lost people, we shouldn't get upset and get angry at them because they're just living the only way they know how to live. The blind can't see, the deaf can't hear, the lame can't walk, the dead can't move, and the natural man cannot understand the things of God. Are you with me tonight? Fourth, preaching must always center on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the heart and soul of our faith. The more we talk about Jesus, the better off we'll be. 
Fifth, all of this ought to make us profoundly thankful for our salvation. Because once we were lost, but now we're found. Once we were blind, but now we see. I love the two words in Ephesians, I believe it's Ephesians chapter 2. Brother Dave Young preached on it, uh, Sunday morning, friend day. We were this and this and this and this and this and this, but God. Listen, the fact, as I said earlier, the fact that we've been saved and the Holy Spirit resides in us and we fall into the spiritual category, that shouldn't give us any reason to be haughty or high-minded or arrogant or proud or boastful. It ought to drop us to our knees in humility, thanking God every day that He saved us. You see, there was a time when we were nothing but natural men and women. And we would still be that way had God not sent His Spirit and gave us life. (laughs) I just thought today, you know, nobody was ever made worse by getting saved. Let that sink in for a minute. Nobody was made worse by getting saved. And nearly 40 years of ministry, I've stood in a lot of hospital rooms at the side or the foot of a lot of deathbeds. And I've never one time, never one time have I had a dying man say to me, I wish I'd never gotten saved. Nobody's life has ever been made worse because they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Listen, we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. And if we don't stop, at least for a moment, to thank God for saving us, shame on us. Shame on us. Finally, we can be bold knowing that the people of the world are unqualified to stand in judgment over us. So let's speak the gospel of Christ without fear of what others may say. If people don't understand, it's because they can't understand. They don't get why you do what you do. If they oppose the gospel, it's because their eyes are blind to the truth. Again, Thanksgiving's coming up, and most of us, at some point during that that time span, are going to be in the presence of lost friends, and lost family. They may be the ones who poke at you and make fun about your faith, but that's okay. You just remember, they don't know any better. They really don't. They don't know any other way to react. 
So here's what you do. You don't argue with them. You pray for them. You love them. You be patient with them. And when the door opens to share the gospel with them boldly, but lovingly, pray that the spiritual translator will help them understand.